0: We continue our summer series in Hebrews today, which take us takes us to the eleventh chapter. Be finding a copy of the scriptures and turning to Hebrews eleven. Hebrews eleven. Find also notes in the bulletin to help you follow along. As I was visiting with uh, Corey this week, I told him I I just had never understood how relevant Hebrews is to us. I had always enjoyed the book, but as we've, as we've come to Hebrews and as we've studied it this summer and as we've learned things about like Melchizedek and why he matters and why he was so important to those people in, in that early Hebrew church, it has awakened in me this love of Hebrews, and I hope it does for you too. We start today as we have every other Sunday in the series with the purpose of the book of Hebrews. So let's remember this. Remember that negatively, Hebrews was written to warn Christians about the danger of falling away. Positively, Hebrews was written to encourage Christians to persevere in the faith. And it's within these purposes today, within this calling to not fall away, but to persevere to persevere. We find ourselves in Hebrews 11. All Christians are called to this. We're going to be today in what's called the hall of faith. The hall of faith. I confess to you, what we're given to you in Hebrews 11 is just this massive and rich smorgasbord. It's deep, and it's great, and it's, oh, it's so good. We can only take a little slice today. We only have a small sampling of the menu. But as we we study these, I hope it builds within you this hunger to go back to Hebrews 11, to study it, uh, to dig through the text. Uh, There are some astounding truths available for you. And we just can't get to it on one Sunday morning. We could spend a week per person. We just don't have that kind of time. Now, Corey left off last week in chapter 10 with warnings to the Hebrews not to throw away their confidence in the gospel, but to continue steadfastly in the faith. Don't shrink back. Next week, we're going to talk about what this faith means as we run the race of life and what it, what's it going to do as it, the Hebrews flesh out this uh, faith in Christ. But today, he like just stops and he takes a breather, and he looks to see what this life of faith is. How it plays out in the lives of God's people. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. It's the hall of faith because it focuses on various Old Testament states, saints, and they're on display. Now, we got to realize context. We've got to know that. The author of Hebrews is talking to believers in Christ regenerate people who have believed the gospel, who believe Jesus to be the Messiah, who are disciples of of the Messiah. They place their trust in him as Savior and Lord. This is critical to everything that we talk about today because genuine faith, saving faith, enduring faith has its origin with God himself. It's not something that we come up with on our own. Do you remember the boy in the movie... Uh, Polar Express do you remember him with that bell and he sat there with that bell that no one else could hear and he just kept over and over oh I believe I believe oh I believe I believe that's not saving faith That's not biblical faith. That is nothing to do with what is talked about here today and what God's people believe. If that's your notion of faith, I beg you to revisit it. That's not saving faith. Make sure you don't believe that. Paul's word to the Ephesians in 2, chapter 2, verse 8. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works that no one should boast. Faith is God's gifts to his saints. The saving work of God is from start to finish his doing. He he awakens us dead hearts to the reality of the gospel by his grace. And he gives us even the faith to believe and to be saved. Genuine faith, saving faith is God's gift to his people. This is foundational to everything that we'll talk about today. I hope you leave here encouraged today, like the Hebrews, to examine your faith, or maybe the lack thereof, and to seek the Lord as we look to what the author of Hebrews has to say to us in this important chapter. The big idea is very simple. Our relationship with God through Christ is a work of faith. Let's read the text. We're going to read all of chapter 11. Bear with me. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts. Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fears constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world, and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall be your offspring named. And he considered that God was able to even raise him back from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down if they after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had been she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Father, we approach your word today. We're excited to see what you have to tell us about faith. I pray that you would give us open hearts, open ears, open minds. I pray that you would uh, plow up our hearts today with your word. May we live here changed people because we've sat under the authority of the very word of God. And we pray this in Christ's name. I wish today I had an old English trial wig. I'd wear that thing. (laughs) But I think with the weightiness of the Word of God, it would be kind of out of place. But if I were teaching public school, I would wear that thing. Because I would set it on, and you would think of Hebrews 11, and you'd think of that silly guy that wore that dumb little wig that day, and you would remember that Hebrews 11 is like a court And the author of Hebrews is going to bring in these witnesses as he takes this idea of faith and he calls different witnesses to the stand as it were. So when you see the word witnesses, and especially in chapter 12 next week, and I'll steal some of Landon Sunder, these witnesses are not watching us. These witnesses are testifying to us. So, you know, like grandma is not in heaven watching you. Grandma is enamored with Christ. But Grandma has left her testimony to you. She is a witness. And all of these Old Testament saints and all of the New Testament saints that we know about, they are called as witnesses to us about what faith is. They're witnessing about faith. Let's jump right in. Let's start with what the author uh, defines faith as. He says it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, if you have the King James version, he knocked it out of the park. Because it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You remember that, substance and evidence, substance and evidence. So you've got to remember the premise that this faith that we are given is a gift of God at regeneration. So, people of God, we see things differently than the unregenerate people, than the worldly people do. Uh, uh, verse 3 proves that. We understand that the world was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Why do we understand that? Because we're people who've been awakened to the power of God's Word. Look at Psalm 19. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims His handiwork. Day to day, it pours out speech, and night to night, it reveals knowledge. So, the people of God look at the star and the the mysteries of the universe, the substance. And they see God's handiwork, the evidence. People of faith see the world different, see the unregenerate unregenerate heart, the worldly scientist, he doesn't see the stars in the same way. He can't see the forest for the trees. He sees the stars and he wants to explain them all. But people of faith, people of the book, understand that it's God that is at the heart of creation. Let me give you a a new little word. The the word is spelled this, QGP. QGP. If you're a wordy with friend kind of person, my wife is rolling her eyes. If you're a words with friends kind of person and you play that game, QGP is your word. Because you got a 10-pointer, you got a three-pointer, and you got a four-pointer. And if you can finally put that thing to on a some kind of triple, you got a big word. QGP, it's quark gluon plasma. Why do I bring that up? Because it's the newest little theory out there. Because it explains in the mind of the scientists that thing that existed right before the Big Bang. But I got a three-letter word that explains what was there right before the Big Bang. G-O-D. See, 99% of you look at that And you hear that illustration and you go, yes, that's exactly right. Because, see, God has put within your heart a seed of faith and you see the world differently. That's faith. That's faith. The stars are witnesses to the creation and to the creator, to the faith-filled people of God. We're like, duh. That's how it has to be. Now, he defines the faith and he, he gives us this example, and then he's like, you know what? This faith is really hard to just talk about. It's really hard to see and to understand what it is, but it's very, very easy to display in the lives of God's people. And so he's going to call these people to witness. He's going to call them as though they're in a trial, and he's going to have them come and testify about their faith and what it produced. See, all these people that we're going to talk about, they have faith, and it's Displayed through this rich variety of experience, but it has some common denominators. It has some things in common. And that's what I want us to learn about today as we look at this hall of faith and we begin to see how it is played out in God's people. So follow along with me. Number one, according to Hebrews 11, faith is, first of all, humble. Faith is humble. And that comes through the testimony of Abel. Now notice, the text doesn't say Abel was a humble person. That his faith led to humility. It says God accepted his sacrifice and rejected Cain's. We have to deduce the humility that uh, accompanied Abel's sacrifice. We deduce it this way. We deduce it based upon Cain's reaction when God rejected it. What did Cain do when God rejected uh, the sacrifice that he had presented? Cain got mad. He pouted. He got angry. God came to... Uh, Cain and talked to him about it. He said, listen boy, you have got to get this anger under control because sin is crouching at your door and it's going to lead you to places you don't want to go and you got to get this thing under control and you need to repent of it. But Cain was unrepentant and it led ultimately to murder. But see, Abel was just the opposite of that. Anger, uh, Abel was humble. He presented his uh, offering with humility. And because of it, his offering was accepted. And he was, as verse 4 says, made righteous. He was made righteous through his humility. He still speaks to us, even though dead, of the importance of faith being humble. Faith is humble. Number two, faith is growing. That's given to us in the life of Enoch faith is growing. From Genesis 5, apparently uh, Enoch walked without God for the first 65 years of his life or so. And then he had Methuselah. And we don't know exactly why uh, his life changed so dramatically. There's all kinds of deals. You study it. Go back and look. We don't have time to talk about it today. But later in his life, he walked with God. He did so in. he In an increasing measure. Until such time, as the scripture says, God took Enoch. He didn't die. God commended him as pleasing. And look at what Hebrews says in verse 6 about Enoch. And what we will learn from his faith. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And he rewards those who seek him. See, Enoch grew in his faith increasingly close to God. He grew in intimacy with the Father. My old Sunday school, Clarence, reminds me of this. Clarence was a case. Clarence served in Korea. And he came out of Korea. And and he was married at the time and was uh, stationed in Alaska. And his wife wanted him to go to church. And Clarence would tell you with a little twinkle in his eye and a smile on his face that he went to the Baptist church because, between Sunday school and church. The Baptists were all out smoking. And he thought, you know what? That's a church I can go to. So he went to the Baptist church. And and Clarence thought, well, I can keep church and my cigarettes and all is going to be well. But what Clarence didn't realize is he was going to have an encounter with the living Christ. And it remarkably changed Clarence. And he became a person of incredible faith and incredible Uh, heart of service and uh, Clarence was insistent that every believer have a quiet time and Clarence would tell us in in our uh, Sunday school hour and and as he saw us in different places he'd point that finger to us and what's your quiet time over? What's your quiet time over? If you can't tell me what's your quiet time over it's because you're not having one you're not having one And, and and Clarence, you know, and he and I would talk about our quiet times. And he came in the cleaners one day, and by this time, he's 80-something. Walked with God a long, old time. And I said, Clarence, what's your quiet time over? Oh, oh, Ron, let me tell you. I have my cup of coffee in the morning, and I move on into my little area, and I, I sit on my, uh, in my recliner, and I, I, I'm in Second Peter. Oh. Me and the Lord, we have the best time together. See, Clarence knew what it was to have a growing intimacy with the Father. See, the Father became his best friend. His very best friend. And he knew what it was to study. And he knew what it was to find Christ in the Word of God. Faith is growing. Enoch shows us faith grows. Number three, faith is obedient. We find that in the life of Noah. Faith is obedient. Noah was warned by God of a judging flood to come upon the earth. And even though Noah had never seen rain or flood, can you imagine building a boat when you've never seen a flood? When you've never seen rain? And you're being told to build this big old massive structure out in the middle of nowhere because there's going to be a flood on the earth. And Noah believed God and he went to work not for just a year or so, but for 120 years in the midst of all kinds of ridicule and persecution in the middle of dry land, according to God's instructions, Noah obeyed. And his faith continued. And verse 7 says, He was a condemnation to the rest of the world through his testament of an obedient life. He too was declared righteous by faith. He was declared righteous by faith. Faith is obedience. Faith is obedient. Number four. Faith is forward-looking to future fulfillment. Faith is forward-looking to future fulfillment. We see this in the lives of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob. Put them all together for you. God promised to use these people to create a people for himself as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And to give them an inheritance of land. And these people believed God for that. But these people never saw it. Yes, God gave Abraham and Sarah a child in their old age, and he was the son of promise. And yes, he had two sons, and yes, the, those two sons had sons, and they began to multiply, but they never saw the land, and they never saw what God had in mind for them, only the beginnings of it. And, and they always looked forward to. What it was that God was going to fulfill. Look, it says in the scripture, verse 13. All these people died without ever seeing the fulfillment of land or a people. But they died in faith. Not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar. And acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Verse 16. But as it is, they desired a better country. A heavenly one. Oh, I love this. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. Are you looking forward? God is not ashamed to be called your God. Look forward. Faith looks forward to ultimate fulfillment. Number five. Faith is tested and perfected. We see that in the life of Abraham. Uh, when we read James a while ago, he talked about Abraham and sacrificing Isaac. That's exactly what this is talking about. Faith is tested and perfected. Abraham was called to si- sacrifice Isaac, the son of promise. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, can you imagine? We don't want to let our children suffer for any amount of money. Uh, so many uh, little old students are, walk to the door of the school by their parent, I was just kind of thrown out. You know? we, we walked to school and that sort of stuff. <laughs> but, but times have changed and we're, we're so protective of our children. And God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And Isaac was the fulfillment of the promise. And that had to have been a strange thing to Abraham. His only son... His offspring, through whom God had promised to build a people for himself. But Abraham took his son to the mountain, and he was fully prepared to sacrifice him, he lifted the knife to sacrifice. And the scripture said he was convinced God would raise him from the dead if need be. See, this is much more, uh, this is a much more m- mature faith, Abraham, at this point in his life, because he'd walked with God for a long time. And God had grown his faith and he had tested his faith. And he, he is perfecting his faith. He's completing his faith. In this test, the faith of this Abraham has grown and matured enough through testing and is being matured even through this test of sacrifice to prove really to Abraham because God already knew that Abraham had God as his chief source of provision even over his son Isaac. God became his greatest treasure. Number six, faith is repenting and believing. We see this in Moses. Faith is repenting and believing. Moses left the court of Pharaoh. He was identified in, 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 instead, if I can spit that out, he was identified instead as a Hebrew rather than an Egyptian. And he left the court of Egypt to be with his people. And then he returned to Egypt following the call of God upon his life to lead his people from Egypt. And why did he do all this thing? Interesting to me is verse 25. His motivation. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ How do you even know Christ? He looked forward. He considered even the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth of the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking forward to the reward. Moses demonstrated repenting and believing. Giving up what the world offers for something better that the Lord promises. That's repenting and believing. He gives up what the world is promising. He goes for what God tells him to do. Number seven, this is beautiful. Number seven, faith is for all. Faith is for all. We see that in the life of Rahab. Faith is for all. Rahab was uh, an inhabitant of Jericho. And the people of God are marching forward. Out of the wilderness, and they're beginning to take the promised land, and they have their sights set on Jericho, and, and Rahab has heard all this stuff about God and about the things that have happened as as God has led these people, as Moses is leading them in, under God's direction, and and they, they hear about the exploits and they hear about the things that are happening. And this one little innkeeper, Rahab. She believes what she's heard about this God. She doesn't know much about him, but she believed him as the one true God. And Rahab, the Gentile prostitute, is named here in the roll call of faith. Mm -hmm. We can be assured that the plan of God has always had uh, as its goal believers from every tribe and every place on the globe. His call and his faith includes a bunch of sinners who sit in this room day by day, Sunday by Sunday. What grace he has for all of us who call ourselves Gentile believers. Faith is for all. Faith is for all. So what about it? What's Hebrews say to you this morning? Is your faith humble? Is it growing in intimacy? Is it obedient to the Lord? See, uh, Hebrews 11 will kind of beat you up. Do you look forward to a glorious future with Christ? and, And as such, do the things of this world seem increasingly of less interest to you? Paul talked about this in Galatians 6. He said, because of the cross, yeah, this world has become... Yeah, not much to me. And I'm not much to this old world anymore. See the, the, the future, what's happening as you get closer to Christ. Do the things of this world seem increasingly of less interest to you? Have, you? have you seen your faith tested and strengthened as you've endured various trials? Do you see that Christ is ever more important to you than anything else? Are you continually in the mode of repenting of this world and believing instead the truths that God has concerning you? Hebrews eleven ought to give us all pause as we look at our faith. It's crucial that our faith is the general, a genuine article; that it's the real deal. Is your faith real? Second Corinthians thirteen five says, "Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves." Do you remember Jesus at the triumphal entry in Matthew 21? Picture this scene. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem and it's Passover time. The city is filled to capacity with uh, worshipers. And he rides in on the colt and the people throw their garments and they lay the palm branches down and they they worship him and they make much over this fulfillment of prophecy. And, And he rides in as the very glory of God and he goes to restore the glory to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, what does he find but money changers and he finds all kinds of junk. In the temple. And he drives all that stuff out. And while he's there. And he's trying to teach. He has all these Pharisees. And scribes. And they challenge him that whole day long. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Why are you doing this thing? Whose authority are you doing this stuff on? And he finally finishes this day. In Passover. And he withdraws from the city. And the next morning. He's coming into the city. And he comes upon this. Uh, Fig leaf. It's our fig leaf. He comes upon this fig tree. And this tree is in full, full bloom. And it looks so promising. And he looks around on this tree to try and find fruit. And he speaks to this tree because he can't find a, a fig on it. And he says, may you never bear fruit again. People, I don't know about you, but that gives me... Uh, just a chill down my spine. The, the, the scariness of a life that looks productive, but bears no fruit. Why did Jesus do this? The fig tree was like the people in Jerusalem. The people that we can be in church today. We look really, really good on the outside. But there's no faith because there's no real fruit to be found the tree shows itself ready pr- for producing fruit, but it has nothing to it. Real faith produces something. Look, Abel was humble. Enoch grew in his relationship. Noah was obedient. Abraham was looking forward. Abraham himself was tested, and he, and his faith was completed. Rahab, she believed God, and, and she was uh, commended as the first or one of the Gentiles in the Hall of Faith, real faith produces something. Can you see why James says in two seventeen that faith without works is dead it 's dead, and Christ will have none of it. The writer of Hebrews called these Old Testament witnesses to the stand. I want to call one more. I want to call a New Testament witness to the stand. I want to call the woman in Mark 5 to the stand. I want to hear her testimony. This is a a woman you know a lot about. This is the woman with the issue of blood. And we're going to call her to the stand and we're going to find out that faith is action. Faith is action. We're going to see it in the life of the woman with the issue of blood. Now, this is familiar to all of us. This woman had a problem with bleeding. It rendered her unhealthy. It rendered her unclean. Uh, She could not go to temple worship worship. She was just about on the same level as a leper. She had spent everything she had on doctors and to remedies with no avail. All was lost for this woman. But she heard about Jesus. Like Rahab, she heard. She heard. And she believed what she heard about Jesus. And that belief drove her to action. She believed what she heard about Jesus. So she secretly snuck up behind him. Now, why would she do such a thing? Well, she can't go to him because if she touches him or or he touches her, he becomes unclean. He would never have anything to do with it. So she's just like, I'm going to do this in the back door sort of way. I'm just going to come up behind Jesus. And if I can just touch him, if I can just touch him. The scripture says she snuck up. She reached out. She touched Jesus and was healed. And what did Jesus do? The most curious thing. He called the whole show to a halt. And he made her come out of hiding because he was so Pleased. He was so pleased with her action. He called it faith. This woman exercised saving faith. How do I know that? Because when one of the most tender exchanges, Jesus looks at this woman and he calls her daughter. Hey, daughter, your faith has made you well. Physically and spiritually. This is a very intimate term, only used this time by Christ. This woman gave up everything she had tried. Jesus was her only hope and she reached out for him and he not only healed her, he saved her. Have you done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever come to the place where you see Jesus as your only hope and you reached out to him? Now look, Rahab didn't, or not Rahab, this woman didn't utter some kind of prayer. She didn't do some kind of, we sometimes get all caught up in the way in which we do it. Have you reached forth as, to Jesus as your only hope? Giving up on everything that you've ever tried before. That's saving faith. That's saving faith. Yeah, it may have been a prayer. It may have been an action. Don't you see? She reached forth her hand in a desperate attempt to reach Jesus. If you've done so, the deposit of faith, saving faith, was made to your account. I I didn't put this in your notes, but I want you to do this. I want you to write the word faith, F-A-I-T-H, down. We're going to make an acrostic. I generally don't like acrostics, and I wouldn't normally do this. You know, God's riches at Christ's expense, grace. It's not enough for grace. Well, this little acrostic really kind of is not enough for faith either, but in the context of what we discussed today, I think we can make it so. Faith, forsaking all, I trust Him. Forsaking all, I trust Him. I like that. Forsaking all, repenting. Forsaking all, repenting. I've given up on everything else. I give up. I can't do this thing. I can't save myself. I can't work enough. I can't do enough. I forsake it all. And then I trust him. I believe. I believe. I believe what he says. I believe what he says is enough. Forsaking what I be- what I think, all that I've ever tried, I trust him. It's repenting. That's believing. That's faith. That's faith. That's saving faith. That's saving faith. Let's pray.